Snippet, the short podcast platform. Welcome to The Awakening Code, a new show from Snippet featuring conversations around the process we call awakening and living more consciously and on purpose. This week, we're thrilled to be joined by Yogi Ray Indigo. We start off with a conversation about staying uplifted despite the difficulty of current times. People are cycling through so many different um, unstable emotions, and and they and they don't want to necessarily have them, but it's challenging in the current times to really find your you know grounding and to know what to do and 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 how to still keep your you know mood positive and be creative and be uplifting while there's so much. Um, uh, dark emotions, despair, sadness, frustration, anger, fighting, hatred. So so the truth is, like, if that's the worst that it was for you, you're doing a, an excellent job because personally I go and train at the gym and, and kick the bag, and I find that that, like, gets the – it helps me when I feel vitri- vitriol or I feel frustrated to go and kind of work it out in a way because otherwise you find yourself um, – taking it out in the wrong ways with people you love. And, and that's like really the, the danger is that, you know, life is so precious and we're a little bit ungrounded as a, as a little bit, I'm <laughs> being gentle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, so it's really that we still find a way to hold space and be with people that we love and, and not be vitriolic. And, and what do you do? You know, it, it's, a, it's an amazing moment to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And I believe that beyond all things, I think truly that we, who are here on the planet right now, did sign up for this in one way. When I looked at your partners on World Yoga, I'm looking at, you know, you've been training people in Switzerland and you have organizations you work with in, in Peru and Bali and all over the world. And when we talked, one of the things that I noticed about you is you embodied that word we used a lot last year, which was pivot. So how did you how did you do that when your your whole world was all about teaching all over the world teaching your your <laughs> yoga practice all over the world and then next thing you know you're not getting on a plane anymore and everything's kind of shut well, down and it was it was basically went like this so I it was finishing up a 200 hour certification in Miami and um, I taught on Sunday and I was supposed to fly on Tuesday I think this was like. Gosh, it was, it was right in the middle of March, and they shut everything down. So I had to cancel my. It was in, I was going to Sweden to teach um, in a, a, a bit out of Stockholm at this amazing studio, and by um, and um, it kind of broke my heart a little bit. But as soon as it happened, I just realized I was like, oh, like everything shut down for two weeks. I'm like, no way, it's two weeks, and because I'm just you know I can <laughs> see what's coming a little bit. So I immediately, basically, I took the weekend and I sat there and I confronted the fact that my whole worldwide tour, I was going to Sweden, Peru, Switzerland, and like uh, many other places, because I, I teach my, my, what I do, uh, it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> and I, so I, I just began to learn um, how to how to teach online. And I built out, like, I taught myself how to program, to do web programming and process videos and how to do lighting and camera and, and two cameras so that people can really see the body movements. And, and I just really like launched it within a week. I didn't even hesitate, but there was a, you know, a lot of 14 to 16 hour days and a little bit of tears. I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Blood, sweat and tears was definitely in that, in that pivot. But you know, you have a choice that when you see something like this happen, that either you find a way to, 
to reach your your audience, to reach your students, to reach your to reach your people, or you collapse and you succumb and you just say, "Oh well," we wring your hands and and so that's what I did. For most people, they're experiencing the body as a as a heavy density that they kind of fight against. And when you understand how to direct something that's more subtle than the physical body, the physical body is controlled by and it lifts slightly. And this is when you do yoga from the practice of, of controlling of energy or, or of these flows of communication maybe is another way to, to define it. Like a, if I want my leg to move in a certain way, I flow the communication to a specific point in the foot and through that and the directionality of the flow, the leg lifts very easily. But that has to be done through you seeing it in the mind. I, and so that's, that's where the, the physical yogas are actually a meditation training at their highest form. The body actually exists in a field of mind. The, the mind doesn't exist in the body. And, and the moment that you start to spot that the, the mind actually carries the body, think about it this way. When you're in a really good mood, you know how you walk really light and you kind of float down the, the street? But when you're in a bad mood and you're worried about something and you're stressed out, you're, everything feels heavy, you can feel the compression of the world around you. So it's really that the body is carried in the mind. And if you reverse that entire concept and you learn to create emotional moods that are light and pleasant, learn to create. You'll see body is easy, life is easy, mind is easy, communication is easy. And that's not necessarily she easy to do in times like this when we're totally bombarded with messages that take us the other way. Right. So you really have to see it to be able to do it. I, I like that you talked with me about... When we have decayed emotions, we have yeah, decayed, decayed emotions. Skin. Yeah, so this is an interesting thing. Like we don't oftentimes spot it because people have gotten really um, much better as a, as a society at kind of noticing our emotional states, but we we don't really know what to do with it, how to recreate different emotions, and then what to what to do after we've had intense emotions for a long duration or a regular duration. Because what happens is that there's a kind of a part of our, and I'm just going to do my best to describe this, of our psychic emotional information field that carries this decayed emotional residue. In, in, in certain kind, in Agni Yoga, we would call it a precipitate. Um, they would call it a, like latent impressions that are colored, if we're talking about a Kriya Yoga. In um, emotional yoga, which is known as Rasa, and Rasa means mood or taste. In Rasa Yoga, we would say it's um, it's a it's the last emotion that we call like a, a hint of disgust that we carry with us, and it's towards self and towards others. Mm. And when when we have decayed emotion, we will see the presence of this quality of just a little bit of disgust or like like we need to we want to push others off of us, and it correlates very much to our psychic boundary. So so our skin physically is a symbol of this, and our emotional state. As a as a longevity, not as an immediacy, is is also going to showcase this. But there's oftentimes a confusion philosophically between the individual and the absolute, like which one are we? And, and the truth is that you are both. And the places where you're individual, yeah, is you have an individual body, you have individual relationships, ideas, you know, you have your clothing, you have things that you consider valuable, things that you've lost, you have your memories. But then in the absolute, this is a place where there's non differentiation where we are all the same and this is this is a place where we where we know 
that another being, while they may have many different appearances and layers and levels that are different from us, the essence is the same. The absolute essence is the same. What's confusing is that we have to understand that, first off, we are both in a sense, but the absolute is first and the absolute continues. The physical is something that's transient and changes. And so from the yogic perspective, we would say it's not self because anything that can change it cannot be you. If you can change it, if you can witness it changing, it's not you, but you have it. And you do have an individuality and you do have a, a boundary. But the moment you can spot a boundary is the moment you can extend it a little beyond the skin, make it a little bit bigger, a little bit broader, a little more inclusive consciously. Not as a force, but, but something that you consciously choose to extend your beingness to consider more than just my individual self. And this is like what we see when we build communities, when we have families, when we have you know, people that we love, we're extending our sense of beingness, like a radiance beyond our current boundaries. We'll be right back for more of our conversation with Ray Indigo. Welcome back to The Awakening Code. Our conversation with Ray Indigo continues. Your father's the one that got you into yoga originally, yeah. is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually am. So I grew up in a very different probably in the common situation, uh, in a farm in Amish country, Pennsylvania, uh, which is a very um, religiously precise area. And my father was kind of a, a bit of a rebel. You know, he went to Woodstock. He was a vegan. We grew up juicing. He was doing yoga, in, like in the backyard, which is, you know, something that they considered worship of the devil a little bit then. <laughs> Not, now there's yoga studios everywhere, but back then it was considered something else. And, um, he, he trained me in things like um, the stomach roll exercises, like we call Nali Kriya, and like a lot of the Hatha yoga practices, which, which are cleansing, cleansing of the digestive system, of the sinuses, of the ears, of the eyes, of the skin, of the hair, of the scalp, and then more subtle, cleansing of the different fields through kinds of meditation. And I thought of that as like just what life was like, because, you know, you grew up with it and it's just what you do. How did he, I'll interrupt your story, how did he get turned on to all this? I mean, we talk about the hippie generation and the summer of love, and we've interviewed lots and lots of those people, but what was his story that would direct him to all of this? He loved Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. They, I think they call him Osho now. Mm-hmm. Um, he loved, he just like I was very interested in, and he had an extensive library, which now as he's just recently passed, I have that whole library and it's a lot of books. And they're heavy, mm-hmm. and they're amazing, but it's a lot. So, so. He studied it. He self-studied. He didn't really have a um, a guru. He taught himself from reading the books how to do these different kriyas. And so I grew up with that. And it was I didn't realize what a gift it was <laughs> at the at the time. It was just like life. Your beingness is is non-dual, and then it, there's different parts of you that take on dual forms. And you know, we're not just uh, in the absolute. If we go back to this idea of the absolute and the individual, the moment that we begin to individuate, we get differentiations of male and female, plus and minus. In yoga, we'd say ha and tha. They would say yin and yang. But but one person is, is you're a composite of many of these different flows, and one of them is your physical genitalia. And I, I personally prefer to connect with, like I'm more interested in people's hearts, their spirits, their minds. So I see them usually as this. And, and oftentimes it's just, it, it falls away when I teach. I'm not interested in speaking to that part of you unless I'm teaching you about that part. And when I teach like stuff for specifically for women or specifically for men, then it's, a, then it's addressed in, in that, in that way. 
but it's it's um yeah so it's, it's a different viewpoint because we have a viewpoint of a of a being kind of as coming from spirit and originating out from that point into different levels of individuation that are more and more dense if you can think about like a a, a practice as as three parts but the first one is just you're born in a human body so there's a potential you can practice you're not born in an animal body they they don't have a they, they don't there's like they're a I had a, a, a Rinpoche explain it to me this way, and I found this such a beautiful way to think of it. He said that um, that they view the animal birth as not as anything bad, but like something born in a box. Yeah, it does. It can't really grow. It's it has a fixed placement. And then they said a human is a is a rare human birth. So if you're born in a human body, you have a specific potential. The next part is, is the second part we could say is the path that you walk. And, and a good analogy for this is you can think about it like a forest. And the forest has a lot of different trees, and it's, and it's easy to get lost in it. And what happens is that most people enter the forest, and they get stuck there. And so they get, they get some uh, improvement, and then they become attached to that improvement. Like, you know, to get to the roof, you can use a ladder, you can use a trampoline, you can you know, use an elevator. But once you get on the roof, you, you don't stay at, you, you don't pull the ladder up with you. Yeah. And so what you see in a, in a lot of people who are, who are doing this work is that they have an attachment to one of the tools on the path and light work, shadow work, and all of the different diversities are all tools. But you must be able to use all of the tools if you're going to be an adept sculptor. The third is the most important. And this is when you get the result. And you have to know when you begin to get the result of your practice so that, so that you feel very encouraged. And the result becomes like this. So for, for the time that you're on the path, you're struggling with many problems. But once you get the result, you begin to uh, kind of move the other direction and become much more interested in the problems of others. And you'll find this as a natural expression. No longer are you worried about your problems. It's as if they're, they're nothing. Mm-hmm. It's no problem at all. And you find that you begin to, like, you're, you're, you don't have to meditate for three hours. You just be in the state. And then you, of course, are not the problem. So you just care about others around you. And so it's, imp- yeah, so it's important that we spot one, two, and three, and we know where we are. Mm. And it's measurable. There's, there's, there's specific skills along the path of meditation and inner work where you can just spot it, like a simple skill, like, can you sit still for five minutes without suffering or adjusting the position? This is a major accomplishment. Just that one thing. Next, can you make the mind quiet for five minutes? Literally no thoughts. Meditation just means stopping thinking and entering into a state of a radiant beingness. So, so let's define a few words, and then I think it'll, it'll be much like super simple. So basically, the word meditation is used like in many, many ways. So there's... Um, there's what we would call a uh, concentration meditation, which is where you are putting attention on an object. So and this could be anything. This could be an object, could be a thought, a visualization, something in the physical universe, an action, uh, a writing, uh, martial arts training, a physical movement. All of these are uh, become a meditation when you consciously direct the flow of your attention continuously and with control while being in a relaxed state. So you're not tense, you're just able to put the attention there. Then you have the state of meditation as just a presence of being that's kind of inactive. So it can be active, directed towards, or inactive, like a, like a, I'm just being almost like you're like a flower in the sun. 
And both can be meditative if the attention is something you're directing as opposed to compulsively hijacked by memories, uh, sounds, or, or, or other things. So something that stimulates you out of this, the moment or the movement. So why, um, uh, why do we oftentimes encourage people to develop the ability to sit still? Because it, you don't want to do it. And the moment that you can do something that you think you don't want to do, you overcome a lot of obstacles. Because the, the big obstacle between carrying a meditative state out into the world is because you like certain things and you dislike others. And, and that preference brings in all of the latent memories. It makes them active and it hijacks your attention in the moment, which makes your movement or your, whatever you're doing imprecise. So the, the reason to sit still is just so that you can overcome the liking and disliking a little bit. And you will see that just out of that, if you like things that you dislike and you play around with disliking things you think you like, you will see that all of life can become pleasant. A, a real yogi has a bit more of the attitude of a martial artist in that they want to expand their selves into the world because only then, like, uh, otherwise, you're what you attain enlightenment, you're on a mountain, and that's amazing, great for you, but it's kind of weak. And, and there's, there's paths that encourage that, and they, and they leave the body, and that's, it's a selfish practice. And it's no problem, but many of us have the viewpoint that uh, you are me. And so if I am, sure, I may need to take a, a moment to develop an ability to be steady, but then if I can't come back and, and, and actually create beauty in the world by touching the hearts of others, essentially my practice was weak and deficient, because a real practice extends beyond the boundary of the individual. And so you bring that meditative calm and that steadiness through all of the difficult things that life throws at you, just like in a martial arts fight. When someone throws a punch, you smile and you catch. No problem. I want to live in a world where people glow, they're radiant, they're happy, they feel like they have a future, and it's tough right now. And it's not going to get easier for a while, so we as beings have to be a little tougher. And not callous, but steady and brighter. It's like basic things you can just add to your day to, to de detox. Like every time your mind comes in contact with another person, that contact has an effect. And if, you're, if your boundary to the other person has either instabilities or charges, the effect is something that you come away with an impression and you find yourself thinking about it. You're like, ah, and this happened and this happened. And it hijacks the rest of your day. So when we make ourselves healthy in this boundary, then that which should come in comes in, and that which is just not useful doesn't. And we're allowed, and we leave it though. We allow it its beingness. We don't have to make others wrong, but we, we can leave them. We don't have to carry it with us as well. Thank you for tuning into The Awakening Code. This marks the end of season one, and we hope you'll join us again for the second season coming soon. 